We're going to start actually in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. The words will be on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. We'll read that, have a word of prayer, and get into our message. These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray. Dear Precious Father, we thank you for these words. Words that date from so long ago when you established your people, the Israelites. Jesus echoed them when he was here on earth that we would love the Lord our God in this way. So Father, we ask that you'd open our hearts and minds to this message today that we would learn to love you deeper, to love as you have shown us in your word and to know your love for us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Those words are so important to the Israelites and in the Jewish faith, and it is something that they recite daily, that reminder, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one. And that is a powerful affirmation, and there's a powerful admonition in that. The Lord our God is one. That Lord our God in Hebrew is Jehovah Elohim. Jehovah, of course, is our angelization of that Hebrew name that Jesus said was his name, Y-H-W-H. We don't honestly know how to pronounce it. The Hebrews wouldn't pronounce it. They don't have vowels in their alphabet, but we have turned it into Yahweh so that we can say it. But that is the name that God said is his name. Tell them Yahweh has sent you. Elohim is another name for God. And it, it talks about the majesty and power and greatness of God. So here it's talking about Jehovah Elohim. The great God is our Jehovah. And Jehovah is one. And it's pointing to that monotheistic uh, belief only of one God, monotheism it's called. There is so much, and in that day there was polytheism where there were so many gods with little g as we write it. So many things that people worshipped as something 
greater than themselves. It could be a mountain. It could be a statue that they had made by their hands. It could be the moon, the stars. Man has always sensed there was something greater than himself and sought to worship something uh, out of that innate desire, need within him. It is something within us that is built in, that there is something greater than ourselves. And so over the ages, man has sought to find that. And that's why it is important, this introduction that God made to the Israelites, Jehovah Elohim is God, the God. There is only one, and you are to worship Him. And then the admonition comes, that that instruction that says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, love Him completely, wholeheartedly, with everything you are. That is what we are called to do. And so this is a powerful statement. The, in the Hebrew world, this is called the Shema, uh, not S-H-A-M-E, not shame, Shema, S-H-E-M-A, and it is that powerful word about God, and they respond to it. And these verses are so uh, important, specifically as we get down, I want to start at verse 6 again, because the instruction after that is, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In other words, we're to meditate on them. It's more than just something we recite and then forget. We're to keep them as a part of us, to keep them on our hearts, that heart being the center of our being. And then verse 7 gets into our emphasis for today. Impress them on your children. Talk about them as you sit at home when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, every moment of your day, be expressing and impressing this truth about God upon your children. It says to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The Orthodox Jew will have a little box, it's called a phylactery, And they will tie that on their forehead and in there will be a small writing of these words. They've taken it literally or put it on their arm to remind themselves constantly, the Lord our God, He is one. And to love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And that is the verse that Jesus recalled when he was asked, Lord, what is the first and greatest commandment? And he said, it is this. And he referred to this this chapter in this verse here. We are to impress them upon our children. We need to impress them upon each other. We need to be reminded, all of us, that our Lord God, He is one. And there is no other God before Him. And we are to honor Him and worship Him completely, fully, with everything that we have. But that admonition here to talk to them with your children when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up, all 
in your day. The Bible teaches us in many, many places, many ways about training our children. In Proverbs 22.6, a verse I'm sure you're familiar with, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And there's so much to pull out of that scripture. And right at the very front, that train, train up a child. Not just tell them, not just say you should do this, but training means that regular exercise to make it second nature. An athlete cannot say, I want to win in the Olympics and just occasionally get out and run a little bit or do their sport. It takes consistent, regular practice to get stronger and stronger and better and better. It takes training. Every good athlete out there has a coach urging them on, helping them to fine-tune what they're doing to eliminate extraneous uh, movements so that they can do their sport effectively and capably. And that's the picture we have about training, about following God. It is not just an easy thing to do. It is not something we can assimilate just in one sitting. The Word of God is so deep and powerful. And I've heard too many people say, well, I've read it, like as if that's enough. The Word of God is, is so deep that it takes multiple readings to be able to understand. But more than that, as we live and grow and experience life, it brings new meaning to it. As we read it again and again, it will make more sense to us because, oh, now I understand. This is what was happening. This is what's going on. So we continue to delve into Scripture. And it is so deep and powerful, it will take us a lifetime to come close to making it part of our being. But the Word of God is wonderful because it is basic and simple enough for that the beginner to understand there's a God that loves them, that there is a God, that they need to know that God and honor Him with their life. And then as each of us grow, we learn more and more about how to do that. Train up a child in the way he should go. We don't need to get hung up on the he. That's a literary device using the male pronoun. It really can be he or she in the way they should go. But even in that, it's important that we take note of that word, train them in the way they should go. If you are a parent, if you've had children or you have them now, you know they're very different from the time of birth. They come out with different temperaments, with different uh, energies, and it is incumbent upon us as parents in order to train them well to learn how our children learn, to learn how they receive the message or how it sticks with them. We're talking about, we've been talking about some of the love language and that's akin to it. There are ways that each of us respond to a message differently. We respond to love differently. So in order to effectively train, you need to understand that person. 
You need to know what their desires are. It's good as, as we have our children, we introduce them to a lot of activities and part of the desire should be there to find what they are attracted to, what they want to grow up. Maybe they don't want to be a football star like I want to be. They might like basketball, of all things. Or maybe they like dance. Whatever I need to train that child in the way that they will go, but also in the ways of the Lord, I need to teach the way that they receive information. My mom loved working with children, and she recommended a book to me many, many years ago. She's gone to be with the Lord now. It's called How Children Fail. And that kind of sounds like a, a downer, but it's actually very insightful because that is typically when all of us learn, not when we succeed, but when we fail, when we try something and fall short. If we're astute at all, we go, hmm, that didn't work. And we'll learn differently. So as we learn what brings failure, we can learn how to teach in a better way. But understanding that child and being able, and, and again, these, these attributes, these, this admonition works for adults, that we would understand how each of us receive information. And when we're trying to help, to encourage, to grow, we, we, we speak the same language. We, we relate it in a way that people will receive it. That is one reason we need all of us sharing the gospel. Because there are people that you can talk to that will never listen to me. And vice versa, there are people that I can connect to that you may have nothing in common with. And so we need all of us sharing the gospel, talking to people about Christ, because some are going to connect with us that others won't, and the same like with other people. We need that diversity of understanding of of, of working with each other. So train them in their way. And in that training, it will stick with them throughout their life. I don't know how many of you have ever taken piano. I've tried and not succeeded very well. But it starts out, you have a sheet of music in front and you learn F-A-C-E and all cows eat grass and where they are on the piano, and you start out, boom, 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 boom. But as you really get well at doing the piano, it has to become a, a psychomotor function. You don't interpret each and every note. Your mind somehow sees them on the page, and your muscles know what to do. That's being trained to play the piano. You don't have time. It goes too fast for you to try to interpret. Oh, that's an F. That's a G. That's a C. And my finger needs to go here. It has to just happen. And it takes training to do that. And so it is with all of life. In order to be good at a job, to be good at what you do, it needs to become second nature. And so we need to learn how to affect that in each other and in our young people especially. Train up a child in the way he should go. And 
when he is old, he will not depart from it. And as we look at all these admonitions we have about teaching and training, it gets hard. It takes tremendous wisdom to be able to discern what those you're responsible for, the way they learn, the way they react, the way they need to hear information. It can be overwhelming, and there is no manual. There's lots of books on parenting, but none of them can cover every single child in every single situation. We are unique, complex individuals, and while there are some principles, each one needs to be dealt with uniquely. So it's overwhelming, and you know that as a parent, and trying to rear them. I want to give you a couple of stories from the Bible couple of examples that show us that God understands this. We can know that cognitively. God knows all things, so he knows it. But we need to see just how in-depth God feels it. The first one I want to share with you is about King David, and it's in 2 Samuel 18, about Absalom. Absalom was one of his sons. He had many sons. Absalom was a young man filled with rage, filled with ambition. And as he became an adult, he worked to become king. He worked to usurp his siblings from becoming king. He actually put Amnon to death because he mistreated Absalom's sister and He had no qualms about doing something like that to get ahead. And Absalom even was working in a conspiracy to overthrow his own father on the throne and become king of Israel. That's the depths of his ambition, of his drive. So this is coming to a head. And David is getting ready to send out troops to go capture Absalom. And he wants to go with them, with the troops. But his leaders say, no king, you need to stay in the palace. The people need you here. So David stays in the palace while his different groups go out searching for Absalom. They find him and he's trying to escape and he's running along, riding along on a mule And Absalom had long flowing hair as he's described in Scripture. And that hair as he's riding gets caught in a tree. And he's suspended from the tree by his hair. Now ladies, you've experienced that more than us men. I don't have enough there to get caught. But you can imagine the pain from hanging from your hair. But he's hanging alive from this tree. Before David has sent out his troops, he said, be gentle with him. Well, Joab comes up on David. One of the servants had found him first. I mean, on Absalom. He asked the servant, why didn't you kill him? The servant says, because David said not to. My king said, don't do that. Joab, thinking he knew better than David, takes a spear and drives it through Absalom, killing him. The servants say, we need to let the king know. So Joab starts to send one, and another one says, I really want to go. So he says, okay, go. Anyway, they they run to take the message to David, and that's where we'll pick up our scripture in 
2 Samuel 18, starting at verse 22. 20, whoops. Yeah. Twenty-one. Then Joab says to the Cushite, who's an Egyptian, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed down before Joab and ran off. Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, again said to Joab, Come what may, please let me run behind the Cushite. But Joab replied, My son, why do you want to go? You don't have any news that will bring you a reward. In other words, King David wasn't going to be happy with this news. He said, Come what may, I want to run. So Joab said, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates, the watchman went up on the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked out, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out to the king and reported that the king said, If he is alone, he must have good news. And the man came closer and closer. Then the watchman saw another man running. He called down to the gatekeeper, Look, another man running alone. The king said, He must be bringing good news too. The watchman said, It seems to me that the first one runs like Ahimaaz, son of Zadok. He's a good man, the king said. He comes with good news. Notice how optimistic David is trying to be. Then Ahimaaz called out to the king, All is well. He bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, Praise be to the Lord your God. He has delivered up the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. The king asked, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, I saw great confusion just as Joab was about to send the king's servant and me your servant, but I don't know what it is. Told little fib there, he knew. The king said, stand aside and wait here. So he stepped aside and stood there. Then the Cushite arrived and said, my lord the king, hear the good news. The Lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to his room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. We have here the demonstration of the great grief of losing a child. David knew Absalom's intent. He knew that he was conspiring against him. He knew that he wanted to usurp the throne from him. He knew that he'd been rebellious and a violent man all his life. But as a father does, he loved his son. He didn't want harm to become to come to his son. And Joab took matters into his own hand and David deals with that later. He kills him. And we see here the great grief that David experienced when upon hearing about the death of his son. In spite of all that Absalom had done and wanted to do, David 
loved him. God knows that kind of pain. He knows that kind of loss. He let his son go to leave heaven to come down to earth on our behalf. He lost him in a sense in that way. And then on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself. And one thing God won't do is look upon sin. And when Jesus was covered with our sin, God turned away. And the son felt that. And that's when Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God couldn't look upon our sin. Jesus died, took those sins to the grave because he was God, left them there. He rose again and he and the Father were reunited once again. But our God and our Savior Jesus Christ know the pain of separation. They know that hurt. Jesus, as a human here on earth, made several friends, and one of the friends was Lazarus. And while Jesus is out teaching and preaching, he gets word that Lazarus has died. He goes to where Lazarus is. Of course, the people are there in the morning doing all their wailing and stuff. And we hear that verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. His friend was gone. And that pain was very real to Jesus. So he, God, understands our pain upon those kind of losses. And we can go to him knowing that we won't be rebuked. That we can share our hurts. That we can cry out to him about our pain and our hurt. And God will love us and embrace us. There's another story I want to share. It's another familiar story to you. It's about the prodigal son. It has a different ending. You know the account a father has two sons. One son, I guess, gets tired of being on the farm. Imagine that. He gets tired of being up before the crack of dawn and doing all that work and working all day and going to sleep tired. He decides he wants to party. So he says, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want to go. The dad agrees, gives him his inheritance. The son goes off, squanders it away. Has some good friends for a little while, but once the money's gone, he's alone, he's destitute. And as a Jew, he finds himself doing probably the worst thing he could imagine. He's caring for pigs, unclean animals, and he's so hungry, he's thinking about eating some of their slop. I'd have to be real hungry to even think about that. And I'm sure he was. But that's how low he got. And he, he thought, you know, this is kind of silly. The servants in my father's household live better than this. I'll go back and I'll be a servant in my father's household. He knew he had squandered his inheritance, his birthright. So he just said, I'll go back, I'll apologize to my father, I'll beg his forgiveness, and ask him to make me one of his servants. So he heads home. 
The Bible tells us that the Father sees them from a long ways off. The, the Son is practicing His speech and He gets to His dad and He tries to utter, Father, I've sinned, I've done wrong. And the Father doesn't want to hear anything about it. He embraces Him. Looking at verse 22 of 15. But the Father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on Him. Put a ring on His finger and sandals on His feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You who have lived some time, you understand the effort, the work, the heart that this mother and father went through to have an inheritance for their sons. They had to work diligently to grow their flocks, to have their crops, to make the money, to have extra so they could have an inheritance to give their sons a good foundation for life. It didn't come easy. And it, it, it happened over the whole time the boys were growing. And so you can maybe imagine how it impacted them when their son said, I don't want what you're doing for me. I want the money, but I don't want this life. I'm going to go. Had to rend their hearts. But sometimes as parents, we've got to let them go. Find their way. Hoping they'll come back. And we have that picture of the father standing at the road, watching the horizon to see if a figure comes. And he finally sees one, and it's the walk of his son. And he rushes to him. He had every right, and we might respond in anger when we found out what he had done. How could you squander away everything I've worked for? How could you waste it? How could you come back with nothing? What are you doing showing up here? Aren't you ashamed? But that's not how the father receives him. The father is overjoyed that his son has returned. And he gives him the items of honor, a robe, a ring. He throws a feast for him. And of course, that is the picture of our heavenly father as we stray from him. He has done for us more than we could imagine. We praise Jesus for his death on the cross, but God has done so much more than that. Some of you have and can testify of the protection God's brought in your life, of the provision He's done. And that only scratches the surface. We do not know how much God has protected us, provisioned us, provided for us. And yet, we sneer in His face taking the good, living the good life, doing what we want, squandering it away, wasting our efforts. But then hopefully we understand and we come back like this son did. Have you come to your senses? Have you come 
to the end of your rope? Are you ready to return home to the Father? God knows what you've been through. Parents, God knows your struggle. He knows your heartache. He knows the good times and the hard times. He's waiting and wanting to help, but he waits for us to ask. He'll walk with you as you choose to follow his leading. He'll ease the burden and give wisdom and strength beyond compare. Campbellsburg Baptist Church is trying to be a place that will support parents in rearing children and teaching them about God and showing the love of God. We'll embrace them. We do embrace them as our own. And we join with the parents in teaching them the ways of God, not because we're perfect, not because we've got all the answers, not because we don't fail, but maybe because we don't have the answers, because we have failed, because we have learned of our need to rely on God. We want to impart that upon the next generation. That's who we're trying to be. We're working on it. We're not there yet. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. I'm going to be here at the front to receive any who will come. And today is that day where you say, just as I am, I come. He doesn't expect you to get it all figured out before you come. He doesn't expect you to get it all right and then show up. He wants you to come where you are right now, yielding yourself to him, letting him show you the right path. Senior saints, it may be that you need to recommit yourself to being used by God. Perhaps you think you've outlived your youthfulness. You haven't. Perhaps you think you have nothing to share, and I know the world tells you that. It's not true. You have wisdom and knowledge and experience and love that you can pour out to help rear the children in the knowledge of God. Will you come? You who are watching by live stream, will you say to God, I come? There's a number on your screen that you can call to let us know that you're ready to take the next step. We pray you'll do that. The Savior is waiting to receive each and every one. So Church of God, will you come and say to God and the rest of his church, I will help. Will you come? Mm-hmm.